Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that as you listen, you will be encouraged in your journey and that your relationship with Father God will be strengthened and deepened. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We're all excited about having our prayer gathering on Tuesday, but between the storm and some people needing to isolate, that kind of got mixed up a little bit. In the midst of that, I ended up finding out I was preaching this weekend as well. Um, But I really felt as I was praying and asking the Lord, okay, what's on your heart for today? Um, I just really felt like he he gave me something that was a a focal point for us in this last week of our Daniel fast, but but even well beyond that as well. And so I I really am excited for um, what the Lord has for us this week. And, And also at the same time, I don't know about you, but I'm also really excited for the end of the Daniel fast too. I don't know if you ever find yourself daydreaming about meals, but... I know I was having a banana for lunch one day, and I just started thinking about Wendy's, and I could have, I could have just started drooling right on the spot. And so I, I'm already making plans for, for next week as well, but the Lord has something for us before that too. So um, let's, let's pray. Jesus, we just sang that we give you the highest praise, that you deserve it all. And Lord, what we just sang, we want to repeat to you that you deserve it all. You're the center of everything. So Lord, I ask this morning that you would give us eyes to see you rightly. And more than that, I ask that you would give us hearts that burn. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to talk a little bit about being on fire for God. And and I think this is a topic that sometimes, when we think about it, I think all of us would probably say, yeah, I want to be on fire for God. I want to be really passionate for God. But I think we struggle with how do we get there. And I also think we even struggle with what does it actually mean to be on fire for God? What does it actually mean to have a heart that is burning with love for God? Because I think sometimes we confuse being on fire for God with a personality type. And so a person who can be really expressive and emotional and that sort of thing, oh, they're on fire, but, but in reality, they might be passionate about everything. I mean, they might, they might get just as passionate talking about the Lord as sports. And so it's not an exterior thing, it's an interior thing. And so I want to talk a bit about what does it actually mean? How do we live a life that's on fire for the Lord? And it's, it's actually much simpler than, than you've probably thought. But to do that, I want to spend a good chunk of time in the book, book of Ezekiel. And so... We'll have it up on the screen, but if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can as well. I just want to start reading from Ezekiel 1. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kibar River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi by the Kibar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was on him. Just pause there for a bit. So Ezekiel, when he was 25 years old, this is, he was, wrote this at 30, but when he was 25 years old, he had one of the most devastating things you could ever imagine happen to him. 
He was a priest living in Jerusalem, so he probably had, all of his dreams were about a career in the priesthood, serving in the temple, probably had dreams of family, had dreams of, of great times with friends, had his friends, neighbors all around him in the city. He had dreams of a great life, just like all of us start off with, with dreams of living a great life. But at age 25, the Babylonians came, and they actually came several times already, but in, at age, when he was 25, this would have been around 597 BC, the Babylonians came, and at that time, they took King Jehoiakim and a number of the nobles, including Ezekiel, and he took them, they took them off to exile in Babylon, which was about 2,700 kilometers away. It's basically from here to Las Vegas. And so he was taken, uprooted from his home, uprooted from his job, from everything that was familiar, brought all that distance away into a foreign country with no hope of returning. Talk about shattered dreams. Talk about, like, what, what hope is there for the future? I'm stuck here. What's, what's going to happen? And then five years after he was exiled, that's, that's when he had this encounter, but it says he was just sitting on the banks of the river. And one of the things I love about the start of this story is that Ezekiel goes from sitting on the banks of the river with the exiles, just thinking, I guess this is just life. I guess this is how it's always going to be. <sighs> Whatever, right? And he had no idea that in a moment he was about to have one of the greatest encounters with the Lord in all of Scripture. He had no idea that there was an encounter with God that was right around the corner. And we actually see this sort of theme worked out in Scripture again and again and again. That in the middle of a situation where it seems like there's very little hope, the Lord in some way breaks in. And I just think this is so important for us to understand. Even though this isn't the heart of my message, it's, it's so key because I know in the Daniel fast, a number of you are really praying for breakthrough. And some of you have been praying for breakthrough for years in certain areas of your life. And there's certain things, maybe people you've been praying for, and it's so easy to give up hope. And it's so easy to think, after all, nothing's ever going to change. And when I see the story of Ezekiel, and when I see other stories throughout Scripture, I'm just reminded that the Lord sees and he's watching. Amen. And Ezekiel had no idea that he was about to go from sitting there by the river to boom, the heavens open up, and he's taken into this incredible vision what's going on in heaven. And sometimes in, in, a, in a prolonged fast, like a three-week fast like this, especially if you're newer to it, you're, you're maybe expecting, if you're, if you're praying for breakthrough, like, hey, I'm expecting this by day 21, like something's gonna shift. And, and sometimes that really happens and it's awesome, but, but more often in fasts like this, there, there is a real shift that happens, but, but you don't actually see the fullness of it till months later, or sometimes even years later. And so we have to be careful to, to think, okay, well, I guess, you know, maybe the, the thing you're contending for, you get, reach the end of this fast and it doesn't happen and you're like, oh, was that just, you know, man, did I skip all those burgers for nothing? No, 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 no. The Lord sees and he knows and he's watching you. And so I, I just wanted to mention that as an encouragement. But, but moving on in the story, so Ezekiel's about to have some incredible encounters and, and so he's... He looks to the north and he sees this windstorm and in many ways, like this is just a normal day for him. So I kind of imagine I'm driving down Main Street in Winkler heading north towards Tim Hortons just to grab a couple of donuts or something in the drive-thru and he looks to the north and then he just starts to see. It's like the heavens are opened up and he sees this incredible encounter. And some of the things that he's, he describes seem really, really bizarre. But the reason they seem bizarre is because we've never seen anything like it. It's hard for us to get a grid. Okay, what is he actually seeing here in these descriptions? 
But if you had never seen an elephant before or heard that elephants even existed, never been to a zoo, never seen it in a children's book, and you're driving by some fields in the country one day, see just a bunch of cattle roaming around, and then in the middle of it, there's this big gray thing with a trunk and these massive ears, these tusks coming out. And if you saw an elephant in the middle of a field out here, and you'd never even heard of one, and you tried to describe to your friends what you had seen, they would think, that's crazy. What kind of made-up animal is this? This must be all just like made-up stuff. Or if you saw a giraffe for the first time, you'd never heard of a, of a creature like a giraffe, and all of a sudden you see this creature with this incredible, like ridiculously long neck, and you're like, that can't even be real. And so when we read this stuff in Ezekiel, we sometimes think, okay, what, what does this even mean? What it means is that Ezekiel was looking, and he's just writing down what he said or what he saw. And he had no grid for these things either, but it, it's real. He actually had this encounter. All right, I'll, I'll just start reading in verse four. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked, um, the center of the fire looked like glowing metal. So he's seeing this massive windstorm that's coming in. It's like a massive storm cloud. It's rolling in from the north. There's lightning going on. In the center of it, it's like there's this glowing fire, this glowing metal. So he's seeing this thing. It's just, it's intense. It's like, it's like anything, unlike anything he's ever seen before. He must have been transfixed. He's like, what on earth am I seeing? But he keeps on looking and it says, and in, in the fire that he saw, so in this fire that was in the middle of it, was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being. So looks to the front, sees the face of a human being. And on the right side, each has the face of a lion. And then on the left side, each one had the face of an, e of, a, of an ox. And then each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. So they had the face of an eagle on the back. And you're thinking like, what on earth? Like this is the, the craziest thing. And I sometimes like to have fun with this. And I imagine these living creatures seeing humans for the first time and saying like, what are these things with only one face? What are these? What are you guys? You guys only have one face. Like, I, I wonder if they, if they maybe the first time that, like, the Lord created Adam and Eve and they saw Adam and Eve, they're like, why would you only give them one face, Lord? Their necks are going to be sore all the days of their lives because they're always going to have to be craning, you know? Like, these guys literally have eyes in the back of their head. Um, anyway, uh, so, so he's seeing this. And it said they each had two wings spreading out upward. Each wing touched that of the creature on either side. And each had two other wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. And I love this next part. It said, wherever the spirit would go, they would go without turning as they went. If you need a life verse, that might be it. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go without turning as they went. And the appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches. These guys, they're just on fire. And fire is moving back and forth among the creatures. So it's, they're, they're burning like fire. Fire is moving back and forth. It was bright and, lashing, and, and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. So he's seeing these creatures and they're burning. And then he goes on to describe them more. I'll skip some of it because the central figure here is not the burning creatures. But, but he's really emphasizing them because he's never seen anything like them. 
I'll skip ahead to verse 22. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked something like a vault, sparkling like crystal and awesome. So by vault, it's like a ceiling. So he sees like this, like this vaulted ceiling and it's, it's sparkling like crystal and he can actually see through it as we're going to find out in just a moment. So this is right above these things. It said, under the vault, their wings were stretched out one toward the other and each had two wings covering its body. And when the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. So these are powerful, glorious creatures. But then he, he hears this voice that said, Then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads. So he looks above and there was, a, there was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. So he sees this throne high above them. It's high and lifted up. And there's someone seated there like a man. And it said, I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. This, he sees the Lord seated on a throne. And, and this description of him, it says that, it describes him as, it says he saw the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. This has led many scholars, and it's my opinion too, that, that, that to believe he was seeing Jesus. Because Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. That's what, what we read in the book of Hebrews. And here it says he was, it was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And so I believe he was seeing Jesus. And, you know, again, often we think of Jesus, well, he was born in a manger and he's a baby. And we forget he was active throughout the Old Testament. By him, everything was created. And this is likely Jesus that he's seeing right there. And he's on the throne and he's burning. And, and we know scripturally, there's, there's verses that, that tell us that, that he's an all-consuming fire. We know in Deuteronomy 4.24, for example, that it says that our God is a, he's a consuming fire. And, and it talks about this, this fire of jealous love. And we hear the word jealous and right away we think, oh, jealous, that's a bad thing. No, no, no. When it, when it talks about God as, as, as burning with this fire of jealousy, what it's talking about is the holy and good jealousy of a of a husband for a, for a wife when he doesn't want to share her with anyone else. It's, it's his bride. It's, it's that, that, that holy jealousy between a husband and wife where they, they are not going to share their marriage partner with anyone else. That's the jealousy that he has. It's a good thing. It's his burning holy love. And he's burning with this. And in fact, in Revelation chapter 1, John has an encounter and he sees Jesus in his resurrected body and his glorified body. And when he sees Jesus, he describes his eyes and they were like flames of fire. So, so he's on the throne and he's burning and we know why he's burning because the Bible gives us a verse for it. But I remember reading this a few years ago and wondering, but why are those four living creatures burning? I know why the one on the throne is burning, but why are they burning? And scripture doesn't actually tell us. But I have a theory and it's just fun. But, but, I, have, but I have my little theory and, and, and here's, here's my theory. Moses goes up into a mountain for 40 days to be with God. We're going to read this passage in just a moment. And after 40 days, when he comes down, his face is shining because of the encounter. 
Well, what happens if you're one of these living creatures and you've been in the presence of God since you were created for thousands and thousands of years? What happens then? And I have this, this phrase I just in fun kind of made up, spontaneous angelic combustion. <laughs> Poof, they just start to burn. You know, when I, when I was a kid and I was making s'mores or roasting marshmallows, I, I learned a very efficient way to do this. I'm not efficient in, in, in everything that I do, that's for sure. But, but when it came to roasting marshmallows, I was very efficient. And, and I learned you could do it like the, you know, the lame adult way where you slowly put that thing over the fire and then you turn it and you have to be so careful to, to just get that thing nice and brown. And then you got to be careful it doesn't drop into the fire. And that takes like 30 seconds, which is way too long for, a, for me as a kid. Way too long. You know, I, I didn't get a physique like this by waiting that long for marshmallows, you know? And so instead what I would do is you just stick that thing right into the fire and poof, the thing just burns. Let it burn for a little bit, blow it out. A little bit of charcoal, that's okay. Have your s'more, boom, good to go. And, and you'd stick that marshmallow in the fire and boom, the thing, it just ignites, it just starts to burn. That's how I picture those living creatures. <laughs> they get so close to this all-consuming fire, poof, they just can't help but burn. I think that's also a picture of us. In fact, the whole summary of what I want to talk about this morning is, is simply this. If you want to be on fire for God, you don't have to try, you don't have to strive, you don't have to put in a huge effort. All you got to do is get close to the burning one. All you got to do is get close to the burning one and you're going to be lit on fire. But let's take a closer look at some of this. So in Exodus 34, this is the passage I was just referencing. Exodus 34, 29 to 35. Moses, I mean, the encounters Moses has. I love reading these stories in the Old Testament of, of these encounters that different people have with the Lord. Because sometimes we read them and maybe we're so used to hearing these stories as a kid we forget these aren't just stories, they really happened. These were real people with real encounters with a real God. And, and, when, and so I, I've found more life in these stories now in, in, in these years than I did when I was as a kid because I've started to understand, oh my goodness, what did this actually look like? And I've started to place myself or try to place myself in their shoes. So in Exodus 34, starting in verse 29, it says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hand, so it's the Ten Commandments, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. His face was radiant. Now, sometimes they say on a, on a wedding day, the bride, her face is radiant. This was radiant a whole nother way. Like, it wasn't just a, a glowing red. His face is shining. And he had no idea. He had no, his face is shining because he's been in the presence of the Lord. And it said, when Aaron and the Israelites saw, and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. No kidding. Like, <laughs> if we saw it today, we'd think maybe this guy's radioactive. We don't know. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. And then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak to the Lord, or speak with the Lord. I love this about Moses. 
Like there's, there's this sense that his encounters with God were so intense. They were so intense that when he came out of his secret place with the Lord, he had to put a veil over his face so that people wouldn't get freaked out. So often I think we, we try to put on a good Christian face. Like we've all done it on Sundays, haven't we? We've all had like, we all have at least that one Sunday where it's like, oh my goodness. And it's like, drag yourself out of bed, try to make it to church and we're just, just doing our best, right? And it's like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. And it's like, no, I'm not. I just barely made it here. But, but we've all had those times where we've tried to put on that good face. And it sometimes feels like at church stuff, especially, you might feel like, okay, I need to put on a good face. I need to show people that I love the Lord. I want them to know that I'm passionate. I want them to know that I'm engaged, you know? And boy, when you come on staff and you know that people are, might be looking at you even more, they can be like, oh boy, I gotta make sure, you know, I, I have a good sort of appearance sort of thing and look really spiritual, whatever. <laughs> but Moses, when he went out in public, he, he had to tone things down. He actually had to tone things down. And I think sometimes we've defined on fire for God by how passionate someone looks when they're at a church service or when they're on a platform or when they're leading a Bible study. And I think the real measure of are you on fire for God is what goes on in your secret place with you and the Lord. And I, I get so provoked for that. I think the Lord wants us. He's, he's calling us to get provoked, to have a vision for our lives where we're more passionate for God in the secret place when no one's looking than we are when we're out in public. That we actually have to tone it down because our, our personal devotional life with him is so intense. Like our, our devotional life, our, our relationship with God is not something that we do so that we look good in front of people. It's something we do because he's holy and he's awesome and we want him. I think the Lord, again, would, would call us to have a vision for our life of burning in the secret place. I was just talking to a guy from Edmonton yesterday morning, and um, are you sharing a bit of his story with me and a friend of mine? We're just doing this online. And, um, and then he was talking about how when he was 16 years old, he, he just felt like, like the Lord really wanted him to get baptized, which was a great thing to do. And so out of obedience to the Lord, he got baptized. And shortly after that, he started sharing how he just started having this hunger. And he would spend hours a day in the Word, hours a day in worship, just spending time with the Lord. And it, it just, it so moved my heart because it's like, oh, we need a young generation to get that vision for their lives that I'm going to be a, a, a man, I'm going to be a woman of fire. I'm going to be a person who burns more for the Lord in the secret place than when I do on a Sunday morning. And so I, I loved hearing that. And so one of the reasons why he wore that veil, I think, is so that he didn't freak people out. But scripture is clear that there's a second reason for this too. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read through that in just a second, Paul points out that one of the reasons why he wore the veil is because the glory that he had on him was fading. And then Paul goes on to explain that me and you, we have something way greater than Moses did staring at the Lord face to face. We have something that's even better than that. So let's go there. 2 Corinthians 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. So he starts off by talking about the Old Testament covenant law. He said, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory. So that, that Old Testament ministry came with glory as we just read so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory or, or fading, though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? 
If the ministry that brought condemnation was glory, so the law made us aware of our sin, but it had no power to give us righteousness, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness, right? The ministry of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of Jesus dying on the cross to make us clean and pure and holy before God. He says, for what was glorious? So what Moses had, he said, for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory, if what was fading came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? In other words, we have something way, way better than Moses had goes on in verses 12 to 13. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. And we're not like Moses who had put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. And then he goes on into verse 18 and he says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. In other words, he says, with unveiled faces, we're beholding his glory and we're being transformed into a greater glory. In other words, we start to shine. We start to radiate. As we gaze at the Lord, we start to burn. Burning, being on fire for the Lord with a passion for the Lord. I mean, we're in the middle of a Daniel fast. We're seeking the Lord more. It's not about striving. That marshmallow when you know, six-year-old Brian was sticking that marshmallow into the fire. That marshmallow never once had to try to burn. It got close enough to the flame and poof, it just happened. And you don't need to strive your way into this thing either. All you got to do is get close to the one who is an all-consuming fire. If you want to live a life on fire for God, all you have to do is get in front of him. All you have to do is like that marshmallow or like one of those living creatures, get close and closer and closer and poof, <laughs> you're going to start burning like a torch too. And your faith and your heart is going to become alive in him, not because you're striving, but because you just can't help it because you've drawn close to him. This isn't something that we do, it's something that he does as we draw close to him. And it might not be instantaneous, but it is unavoidable. <laughs> if you sit in front of him, if you get in front of the Lord, he's gonna light you on fire. But, but what does that actually look like? What, what does that mean? I've been talking about gazing on the Lord, looking at him. Well, we can't see him, right? And in some ways it's like, well, Moses, we might think Moses had it easy because Moses could go into the tent of meeting and it says in the Old Testament that he met with God face to face as a man meets with his friend. And so he's looking into the eyes, like I don't even, what was that like to, to see the Lord face to face? How, and how could Paul even have the nerve to say that, that we have something even greater than that? Well, here's the deal. Moses had the Lord in front of him and could see him. But he had to go into a tent of meeting to have that encounter. You have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you and he's with you everywhere. God's as close to you. <laughs> he's closer than your own skin. And in many ways, it's not about how close can you get to God because he's already come close to you. It's just a matter of turning your heart towards him and letting him do a work on the inside of you. So 
I have five practical things that we can do to, to help grow in this. The first thing is to gaze on him in worship. Gaze on him in worship. And so what, what I mean by that is that when we're, when we're singing songs to God, what I grew up with in my understanding, and it's, I'm sure there was good teaching and it just went over my head, but um, my understanding was I would sing songs, try to sing all the right notes, never did, but tried. And, and I was just singing these songs, singing these lyrics, and that was kind of it. But that's singing, that's not worship. Worship is when we turn our heart towards the Lord and we sing straight to him. There's a difference. One is I'm trying to sing the right words and trying to sing the right notes. And the other one is I'm singing, but I'm singing straight to him. And, and I used to joke because it, it felt like when I went to Bible school and all of a sudden all these people had their arms raised and I'd never really seen much of that before. And I was just like, okay, I want to get into worship too, but it's like... <laughs> I, I would joke about this. Seriously, I remember joking about this 20 years ago. They're like, I got my midnight chains on my hands. I don't know. They, they, just, don't, they just don't do that, like, you know? And Because I was just so afraid that everyone in the building was looking at me when I was worshiping, and I was so self-conscious. When the reality is, is that, and I know now exactly what everyone else was thinking about, and it was everything except me, because no one cared. <laughs> I was just into my own head. But, but in worship, we put our eyes on the Lord, and we respond to what we see. That's what worship is. It's us looking at the Lord with our heart and we respond to what we see. And so we want to gaze on him in worship. We want to enter into worship. And the awesome thing about that is you can do that anywhere at any time. You can do that all throughout the week. You don't need to be here on a Sunday morning to worship the Lord. Just turn our hearts towards him. Secondly, spend time in the Bible and then interact with God as you do it. So, in other words, don't just read the Bible. Reading the Bible is awesome, but this book is fire. And so often in our prayer lives, we, you know, especially we're trying to lean in on a Daniel fashion, like, all right, I, I really haven't been spending as much time with the Lord as I want. I'm really going to press in. And so we, we open up our Bibles, and it's like, okay, okay, I'm going to go for it right now. And we kind of get bored in about two seconds. <laughs> Or we try to pray, and it's like, okay, I'm going I'm to really sit down and pray, but you're three minutes in, and you're out of stuff to pray. Well, this book is like a, it's like a Holy Spirit prayer manual. And so what you do is, as you're reading it, when verses stick out to you, you just start praying them back to the Lord. So a friend of mine recently, he was talking about Matthew 4, and Jesus is going around, he's performing signs and wonders, and then there's this line as he was telling me this verse, and the line was, was basically the result of this is that his fame spread. And when he mentioned that thing about his fame spreading, all of a sudden, something in my heart came alive, and it's like, oh, this is so good. So, so what do you do when you have those moments in your reading? You just turn it into prayer. You start going, oh, Jesus, I want your fame to spread. Jesus, would you work through me in power? It's not about me. It's not about my reputation. I don't care what other people think. I want you to work through me in power so that your name would be famous. And now I have a prayer as I'm reading scripture. And maybe you hit John 8, and it's the story of the woman caught in adultery. And Jesus, instead of judging her, he forgives her, tells her to sin no more, and tells her her sins are forgiven. And you read through that, and all of a sudden it's, oh, Lord. Jesus, is this really what you're like? And all of a sudden, you start responding to what you're reading in Scripture with prayer. This is how we gaze at him. 
We look at him in the Bible, we turn it into prayer. And it doesn't matter whether you feel it or not when you're doing this. When you see a truth, respond to it with the Lord. And just, just make that thing. When you see something that sticks out to you as you're reading, respond in prayer to the Lord. And your heart is going to start becoming more and more soft and tender as you do that. Third thing we can do is walk in obedience to him. This is a, is a fairly obvious one, but if you want to be on fire for the Lord... But you got to grudge your nursing. And you're like, you know what? I'm not forgiving that person. You know what they said? You know what they did? I'm, I'm never going to forgive that person. At some point, you have to make a decision. <laughs> what do you want more, to be close to God or to hold on to that grudge? If you got a sin that you're, you're wrestling with, you, you got to make a decision. What do I want more? Do I want to be close to the Lord or do I want, or do I want to hold on to this sin? So we, we have to be willing to humble ourselves. And I, I love this about scripture, this idea of, of we're family. We all wrestle with garbage. And so we share it with each other. We pray for each other. And then we move on. We walk with each other through the struggle. And then we move on past those things. Fourthly, we embrace fasting as a part of our lifestyle to keep our hearts tender. We embrace fasting as part of a lifestyle. I want to encourage you, don't let January be the only month of the year where you fast. I'm, like, I, I'm so, I just love that we have these three weeks of fasting. I, this is so cool. We get to do it together as a whole congregation. This is awesome. And my encouragement is, again, don't let this be the only three weeks of the year where you have any fasting in your life. In fact, I would encourage you. I found very few things to be as powerful as a lifestyle of fasting. Throughout the last 12, 13 years of my life, some years I've been, I've been better at this and sometimes I've, I've struggled for a few years or a few months and then the Lord like reminds me like, Brian, you got to get this back in your life. But, but I want to encourage you, pick one day a week or, or maybe one meal a week or, or whatever works for you, but incorporate fasting as a regular part, as a weekly part of your life. And maybe some weeks you miss. It's not, it's, it's not a religious thing. This is about setting aside time and, and, and denying ourselves something that's good, but to focus on something that's way, way better. And your heart is going to be transformed. And when I first got even teaching on fasting, I was given this brilliant piece of advice. Just set aside a day a week or a meal a week, whatever, to fast and seek the Lord during that time. And don't evaluate it for six months. Don't think, okay, I fasted today and I just felt hangry all day and now like, ah, I guess I'm just not a faster. No, 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 no. Like, like just give it some time and you're actually gonna be amazed. You're gonna look back six months later and be like, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's actually, I started thinking about the Lord a whole lot more. Like my heart has started to burn even more for the Lord. Fasting is like a spiritual accelerant. It's like throwing gas on the fire to soften your heart towards him. And then finally, Learn to abide in him and live with a conscious, a, a conscious awareness of his presence. Like I was saying, what Moses had was glorious. But you carry the Holy Spirit inside of you everywhere you go. You can, you can get in front of that fire anytime you want to. I mean, you got a 30-minute lunch break at work or a 15-minute coffee break, and you just spend some time sitting in a corner, just close your eyes. No one else even needs to know, and you're just like, oh, Jesus, I want to know you more. And you can just draw near that flame anytime you want. This isn't a striving thing, I mean, I love that. 
It's not for the super spiritual. Anyone can do it. It's not about how awesome you are. It's about your proximity to the burning one. And if you want to live a life on fire, all you got to do is get close to him. Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.